Hey, good morning and welcome to Breakthrough Walls. I'm Ken Walls and I'm your host. Today, I have a spectacular guest on. Dr. Rob Kelly will be joining us. And you want to hear this guy's story, trust me. And you need to share this out immediately with all your friends, all your family. Get everybody on here. Let's listen to Dr. Rob's story. Stay with us. We'll be right back. And we are back. Let me bring Dr. Rob on. Dr. Rob, welcome to the show. Hey, Ken. Thank you so much. Hey, guys, on Facebook Live. Good to see you. It's going to be a great show. Let's, yeah, let's, you know, I started this show um, a, almost five years ago, and it was probably for very selfish reasons. Um, it was, it, honestly, I was really stuck in this one area of my life, and I thought, you know what? If, if, if I just interview enough people and hear their stories of how they got unstuck, it'll help me. And magically it has helped me. So, um, that's what this is about, man, is, is just, you know, t telling people how you got through the crap in life. So start with where you were born and raised. You sound like you have like maybe a, a deep Southern Texas accent. East Texas. I was born in East Texas. <laughs> no, I'm only joking guys. I was born in Manchester in England. There's a famous football team over there. You know, the game where you kick. Oh, I'm not going to get into that. Right, right. Go Cowboys. Uh, oops, I've upset a lot of people there. Uh, yeah, so I was born in Manchester, England. <clears throat> I was uh, I was raised there uh, in a low-income family. My, my mom was a house cleaner. And my dad worked for a gas company, used to dig the roads in the holes. So not a lot of money around, but um, a lot of love around. Um, so yeah, they were good times, you know, I, I, I grew up with a guitar in my hand because uh, I was in a musical family. So at the age of three, I, I bought my, they bought me my first guitar and I started to play, <clears throat> you know, around the house. And eventually as we'll, as we'll go on later on, became a, a musician at Abbey Road Studios in London. Wow. So we have that in common as well. I started <laughs> playing guitar at seven. Yes. So I always have guitars and somewhere my office is half studio, half office. It's crazy. <laughs> That's awesome, man. <laughs> it's so awesome. So, so growing up, you had, so you had a great childhood. I had an okay childhood. It was happy. Not a lot of money. You know, I, at school, for instance, I couldn't go on trips to the local park camping because, you know, I, we family couldn't afford it. You know, stuff like that, which later on, when I when I worked through my trauma, realized that that wasn't too good, really. There's a lot of trauma, childhood trauma there for me that, you know, increased my disease and, and my behavior going into my adult life. But fond memories, you know, a lot of fond memories as a child growing up. Sure. Um, mom and dad stayed together, never got divorced, uh, you know, so I come from a solid family, very tight. So, yeah, it was very, very good. I was very, I was very happy with it, you know, just... This, it's, I know now, but didn't know then. There's a lot of things in my childhood that I was uncomfortable with. I was uncomfortable living on the projects. 
I was uncomfortable uh, people seeing where I lived at school. So, for instance, when one of the guys at school or kids said, hey, look, my dad's going to pick us up tonight. We're going to play football. Do you want to come? I'd go, yeah, yeah. Oh, we'll come and pick you up. Well, I was horrified. So I gave him an address probably a mile away to where the houses were mortgaged, the posh houses we call them. Yeah. And they picked us up at 6 and at 5.30 I'd, I'd run to the house and I'd stand outside this gate till the car come, pick me up, and we went. The only problem is when they dropped me off again because it was dark, we had to wait until I knocked on the door, which I kept waving and they kept waiting and it was just embarrassing for me. So there's little things like that I picked up. But, uh, yeah, it was, it was good. It was good. But you, you said you lived in the project. <clears throat> yeah. Wow. Wow. Yeah. I come from absolutely nothing. Uh, and, and when I say that, you know, like I say, family was loving. They did the best. Everything was great. But no, I, I grew up very poor, you know. Sure. Um, my, my first guitar was, was uh, I think it was £27 all them years ago, which was a lot of money, really. But my dad couldn't afford that. My uncle, Peter who was the musician in our family, who I later played with at the age of nine on stage professionally. Uh, I had to lend my dad the money and dad would pay off every week. You know, it was kind of that, that kind of household. So did you, and I don't know how it is in, in, in the UK. Did you, did you go to college, university? What do they call it there? They call it university, yeah. I went, well, you've got, to, you've got to remember, I'm going to get to this in a second. I have the alcoholic brain, which differs from the normal brain. There's three parts of the brain that differ, okay? So yeah. when I keep saying I have the alcoholic brain, it means I'm going to either do something or I'm not going to do it. We don't, uh, you know, I've never played basketball. I've been in the U.S. for 15, never played. Why? Because I know I'm not going to be good at it. I want to be good at something or I don't touch it. So I went to Oxford University which is one of the most prestigious wow. universities in the world. Maybe. Sure. Uh, so, yeah, and the way I got that was, you know, the way alcoholic minds work. You know, I, I, I wiggled and got in the right place with the right people at the right time, pretending to be this kid that was, you know, not rich, but doing well for himself. And every night I'd go back to, to the projects and, uh, and sleep in, in, in this house that was government paid. Wow. As you were going to Oxford... Well, I've later come out of that house, but what happened is I knew I knew I wanted to better myself. So at the age of nine, I was on I was on a stage uh, with my auntie and uncle as a trio playing the clubs and pubs. And I remember Liverpool, we played at Liverpool and it was a huge audience and I kind of froze a little bit and my uncle gave me a beer. And that is where at 9.22 in Liverpool, England, uh, I took my first drink of alcohol. At what age? Age of nine nine okay yeah. so so um that's when you shed all your fears and <clears throat> inhibitions and yes yeah oh my god it was yeah. like the first half of the of the of the day of the uh, set was was so nerve-wracking for me i come off and my uncle said here drink this so i drank it a little beer like this and i went on i thought it was chuck berry Oh my God, I thought I was the best. I was playing bass, that's my main instrument. Uh, best bass player in the world, man. And it was just phenomenal. I come off and I knew right there and then, you you know, you probably have this thing on stage, Ken, when you come off and you go, that is what I want to be. And this is what I want to drink to make sure I do that. It was crazy. And, and <clears throat> because obviously alcohol become my best friend after that. Wow. 
God, I can so relate to that. Right. So, <laughs> and I was I was around eight or nine as well. I, I tell people by the time I was 13, I was a full-blown alcoholic and they don't believe it. And I'm like, yeah, I, no, I, I really was. I was blacking out like every time I drank. So wow. so so let's back up a little bit. In in high school, did you and and I only ask this because in high school, for me, I felt so insecure, so out of place um, that I I did stuff that that got me in trouble. Like yeah. I got in trouble. And did did you experience any of that? Not really. I, I was <clears throat> I was the music guy. You know, I was always in the, in the, in the uh, music room playing and had a couple of close friends. But uh, only got in trouble once, and and we and freaked out. You know. Uh, the, the uh, truant officer to come around and speak to my parents and they knew that I'd never missed school. And, you know, it was something silly. That's one of the teachers said, but no, I kind of hid in music, but I didn't have any confidence. <clears throat> and I'll tell you now, Ken, I don't, you may be able to rate to this. You may not. I spoke at a conference uh, with Gary Brecker and uh, uh, oh, the big motivator guy. I can't remember what his name is. Tony Robbins uh, a couple of weeks ago. And, uh, <clears throat> Wow. I'm so nervous going on stage because I am nervous whenever I do anything. I'm nervous before this show. But what happens is as soon as the event starts, I kill it every time. So my nervousness goes back to what I used to do. I hope you're going to love this, Ken, is as soon as I put a guitar on, the nerves went. I was somebody else in front of this guitar. Now take that guitar off and I was a Mr. Nobody. And that's how I felt most of my life. Dude, let me ask you this. <clears throat> I I've, I've said, you know, I've said this before that um, I feel like alcoholics, sometimes we think we have, you know, the corner, uh, the market cornered on, on being insecure. Do, do you feel like, do, do you feel like other people though, that are not alcoholics or addicts go through some of the same things? Here's what it gets interesting. So, We've done a lot of research, obviously, over 30 years at what we do. That's why we're the best in the world. Um, what happens is I think everybody gets nervous. Yeah. You know, certain events. But what I think alcoholics, alcoholics are born, drug addicts are made. I've got to put that straight out of there, which will freak yep. a few people out. I'm glad you understand that. But it does, I think alcoholics, it enhances that nerves because of the childhood trauma. So when we look at childhood trauma, we go, well, I had trauma in my life. I saw a plane crash. That's not what alcoholics and drug addicts go through. I just call them addicts. Uh, trauma isn't a car crash. It isn't a divorce. This was my trauma for years and years. Robert, get down off that sofa and never ask again to go to college because you're so stupid. Boom. That killed me most of my life. So normal people, me and my brother were stood on the kitchen table once and my mom walked in. And he said, well, this is what she said, okay? Well, you get down off that table before your dad gets in. Get down, you idiots, get down. My brother jumps off and I freeze. The reason I freeze is what I've heard, get out of that table. And that's the difference. We just hear things different. Yeah. We feel, we're very emotional. You can hurt our feelings within a second, even though we stand strong, look powerful. I, I've worked with rock stars, movie stars, everybody you can mention of government. I mean, everybody, you know, I've, I've worked with them. I stood, I stood next to one of the highest paying performers in the world before he, we, we, we pushed him on stage. 
and he was crying because he was so nervous. And this guy was so experienced that, you know, he gets paid a million dollars an hour or something when he's on stage. It's phenomenal. So I know it exists, but their lying was trauma and addiction behind that guy as well. So I think it's, I think it's ex exasperated, definitely. Yeah. Wow. That, that was a great explanation. So, so you go to Oxford University, which is just mind blowing from the projects to Oxford. That's crazy. Um, and, and, and you're going, you said you were going home every night to the projects as you're attending Oxford university. What were you studying at Oxford? I was still, well, I, I, I want to become a doctor. The re how I got in Oxford university was, um, I was, I was living on the project before I moved to Oxford or just outside London to attend. So I'd come out the projects whilst attending, okay. but I was hanging with a couple of friends trying to, you know, better myself. And a guy was a Freemason, you know, and he was, he was 18 and I was 16, I think. And he kept, he kept coming out every week and this big lodge in, in Manchester, which is very secretive. It's not like over here. Right. I'm not. Anyway, they said one night they've got a big, big show on. Can you come down and play the organ? Because I'm a musician, they couldn't find an organist. They were all dying off because it was an old lodge. And that's how I got my feet in because before I could go into the lodge, I had to pass some tests to get into the room itself to play the organ. And that's where it started. There was a lot of contacts there, big, big names, big contacts, affluent, powerful people. And that's how I got into Ox University eventually. So wow. I, I went into, uh, into Oxford University and uh, wanted to become a doctor. Uh, it wasn't possible. They said I was turned up drunk. So they, they sent me to Trinity uh, School, part of Oxford, and I, 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 uh, I read uh, psychology. So you, you studied psychology, and, yes. and is that what you graduated with? Yes. Wow. Yes. And at what point did you get your, your PhD, I'm assuming? Yes. Yeah. I started in Manchester when I was at home and I went to a, a college there. Then I went to Manchester University, eventually got my master's. And then uh, I attended Oxford University. Uh, I, and uh, I must admit, it, it was the only place I found where other people drank like me. And because I was at the time at Abbey Road playing, it's the reason why I moved down to London. <clears throat> I got paid a fortune playing, you know, as a session musician uh, for, for the studio. So I used that money to put myself through school, which I knew when that was happening. I mean, I was doing sessions with Bowie, Queen, Elton John, all them great guys at the time, you know. <clears throat> and um, <clears throat> I, I knew quite then that my life would never be the same. And I'd kind of not made it as such, but I know that I'd got myself out of uh, the project. And I look at the projects as a pile of people and I'm trying to get away from that pile of people and be somebody different somebody's going to change the world right you know, I, I thought it was going to be music i, I really thought it's going to be music chat however it's not it's what we do today but yeah that, that's how it all went down but you know there was a lot of using and drinking at the studio and a lot of using and drinking at school and there was a lot of people paid off for homework that shouldn't have been done for me and and it just goes on and on so you know i scraped through uh the phd program but i came out with a phd and wow what do you do with a psychology PhD? You join the police force. That's what I did. Don't know why. And again, you did? 
Yeah. I did because most of the people in the lodge were, were, were high-ranking police officers. Oh my gosh. I know. And this, is I, in, this is still in England. Oh yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 And, uh, but they fired me after three or four months for being drunk every day. So, which uh, they call me an alcoholic. You know, that was, I was not bothered that he fired me. I was yeah. bothered that he called me an alcoholic because I know what an alcoholic is. It's the guys with the big coats and the string and the fire and the six part harmonies. No, it's only on TV. I'm joking. They're getting right. nice and warm. But yeah, I mean, it was just, it was absolutely chaos. And, and it had only just begun. You know, the chaos that followed is just mind blowing. What I put people through and what I did. I mean, how I didn't. Kills. I nearly killed my wife. I stabbed her three times one night because she won't let me finish my bottle of vodka. Oh my god! I know. I mean, it just and that's not the. It gets worse than that. Wow. You know. I mean, just the madness and insanity of uh, alcoholism itself is mind blowing, and and I, I just can't understand why this had got me so much. But I was still functioning at the time until you know. Eventually, I lost a million dollar house. I lost the children. The authorities took the children off me, and it just went downhill from there. Look what Debbie, Debbie Bettendorf says. OMG. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Debbie. Yeah, Debbie. You know, I'll, I'll tell you, Debbie, when, uh, and thanks, thanks for the comment. Um, oh, what, what happened was, you know, I, this all this had happened, uh, and uh, <clears throat> I came home, I, I stabbed my wife, I went, I, I fled to Spain and wouldn't come back until they, they dropped charges. Back in England, it's the, it's the person that has to charge, not the police. Wow. She dropped charges of, not murder, but attempting murder, anything like that, uh, it gets dropped. Um, and this was just a stab and it wasn't anything really bad. I mean, she had to go to hospital, but you know, she lost a lot of blood. But So when I came back, she decided that she's leaving. But I came home and uh, she had her bags packed and everything. So. She said to me, I always remember this, Ken. She said, um, listen, uh, I'll always love you till the day I have kids. Um, and she, she, she took the children off away. And the next day I got into my attorney and said, get to the courts in the morning. I need my, I need my kids back. And I think the day after or day after that, he brought my kids back, ages one and three, my daughters, my two beautiful daughters. And as the door opened, I'm like, oh, my goodness. Um, you know, this is amazing. And I sat in front of... I told you it gets worse, Debbie. I sat in front of the TV and I went into the... Um, I went into the kitchen, Ken. And I just thought to myself, wouldn't it be great if I just had one beer to celebrate the kids being there. Two or three days later, when the police kicked the door down, dad had been stunk and drunk for three days. Children not been fed or changed diapers for two days. They took the children, the police were there, the authorities were there. Hmm. The children were taken out and, and my three-year-old was holding mommy's hand as they walked down the path. And she turned around and she said three things. She said, daddy, daddy, Please don't go. Mm. And then she says, Daddy, Daddy, please get better. Wow. And the last thing she says was, Daddy, Daddy, please stop drinking. Wow. And wow. I couldn't do it. A few months after that, children had gone, wife had gone, 
Cars had gone, houses had gone, holiday houses gone. I just went to my parents for a few days. They threw me out from friends to acquaintances, from acquaintances to the streets. And within that much of time, I'm sat on the streets thinking, where the hell did that just go wrong? Wow. What year was this? 87, 88, 89. Can't really remember now, but <clears throat> it's some years ago. Wow. Yeah. Is there... Was, was, was there a moment in there, in that everything that was happening where you you feel today that okay that was my my rock bottom that's where that's where i i i hit the bottom my rock bottom because when i was sat on the streets after everything i'd done and i'm talking about leave you know falling on the children leaving the children yeah toddlers in cinemas while daddy drives six miles for for a drink comes back the police are there and it oh, terrified him absolutely you know, all that stuff I did, driving from London to Manchester, drinking a bottle of vodka while the two tots were in the back strapped to the chair. All that stuff, didn't think I had a problem. Didn't think I was going through some bad stuff. 14 months on the streets. 14 months hurting people, knocking people out for money, fighting people every day to stay alive. One morning, woke up, the guy next to me on the bench, and he was stabbed to death for his sneakers. I was fighting every day. 14 months it took before one day, I'm walking down the back ends of Manchester where there's only factories. It was pouring down with rain. I dropped to my hands and knees and I was crying from my belly. You know the achy cry, guys, from your yeah. belly? And I looked up to the sky and I don't know why to this day, but I said, if there's a God up there, I can't do this on my own anymore. Wow. 30 seconds later, a uh, guy walked around the corner, missed his last bus home from a Bible study. He'd gone a different way home, a shortcut, come across me. He said, are you okay? I said, no, I'm dying. This is after seven attempts of suicide. Two of them, I actually died and they brought me back. Wow. And he says, come on, I'll take you on. I'm a, an alcoholic in recovery and I'm also a Christian. And right there is where it started. Wow. And if you think that's crazy, the story that follows the next couple of days is even more crazy. Uh, I, uh, wow. Well, I want to hear that. <laughs> you, <laughs> you can't leave me hanging there. Wow, man. So powerful. And well, I, this, this here's, here's the thing, Rob. I can yeah. relate to 100% of it. Of course. And people, people watching, the normal people will call them, they don't, they don't get it. They, no, they don't, they not. can't relate to that. And I do. I, it's horrible but I can relate to it. And I've been through a lot of it. I understand. You would think that being homeless on the streets is like, Hey, here we are um, unable to put a roof over our heads or eat, but somehow I'm always able to get a drink. I don't know how I pulled that off, but you would think that that's low enough, yeah. but it, it's, it's not. No, it's, it's really not. You know, and, and this again is why I'm so passionate about what we do today. You know, we're the only company that has a 97% success rate because wow. we're so passionate and we're so, you know, we study neuroscience and stuff. But listen, Derek took me home and he said, hey, Rob, you can stay here for as long as you like, man. You know, uh, as long as you come to these 12-step meetings with me. 
Well, yeah. I've been there before, man. I hated their meetings, just war stories and bragging. But I went because of the bed for the debt from that. Now, follow this carefully, guys. <clears throat> so I go to this meeting and I'm sat in the meeting and I'm thinking, can I get out of here to get a drink? Can I steal a drink? You know, couldn't do it. All eyes were on me. But a guy shared and he said, my name's John. I'm a recovered alcoholic. Now, the only reason I couldn't get out of that room is because the bathroom window was this big. Right. I had to climb through it, steal drink, climb back. I couldn't do it. I got my head through. I was so, so pissed and annoyed. It was unreal. <laughs> I wanted to sit down. This guy said, John, a recovered alcoholic. And he, he had this book he was talking about. And, you know, everything he said was true. And everyone kept looking around going, wow. I didn't know. So after he finished, I, I walked over and said, hey, John, can, would you be my sponsor? My name's Rob. And he said, no. And mm. just before the whole world swallowed me, he said, but I will be your, he will be your spiritual advisor for a period of 12 weeks. So what happened is that he, he told me to go around to his apartment every Wednesday <clears throat> at seven o'clock for 12 weeks. I left my house at six. I walked there. I got to his house just before seven. We spent an hour together with the book, talking about God, spiritual beings, psychology, everything. And on, on, <clears throat> on the last day of the, of the, of the uh, 12 weeks, the same time on Wednesday, walked there, walked back. Last day there, I knew that I'd never drink or use again as long as I continue to, to, to do this real program, he showed me. But he told me things like, your life's gonna get better, you're gonna carry a message, you're gonna be taken away from, you know, all this crazy stuff that I just I thought it was weird. So anyway, I get home next day, because he said things had changed. And I'm like, John, I'm on a, a blow up mattress at Derek's house. Great, he's not even knows I'm here. But, right. uh, so in oh, he, he told me and he hugged me and, and I left him. And when I got home, uh, I went to bed, uh, got next morning, and it was my job to clean the house. So I cleaned the house, and Derek comes home at lunchtime. And he says, hey, you never guess what? It's a part-time job going, cleaning floors. The guys just quit. Like, okay. So I started that job, didn't think. Later it turned into a full-time job because I can make people laugh. Everybody seems to love me. Um, and, and, and someone gave me a little mini car to go to uh, work with. So it's like, wow, things have changed a little bit, you know? So I was working with people and stuff like that, going to these meetings and got my first paycheck. Now, this guy taught me some crazy stuff, like the book and what it really meant. Oh, crazy stuff. But people started to get well from the first day we sat down with the book. Anyway, first paycheck comes, gets a little bit of money, goes to the gas station, buys him a little teddy bear and a card. And I wrote on the card, can I wrote, uh, thank you, John, for introducing me to God because he took the compulsion away to drink. And I walked back to that man's house. I got there and knocked on the door. There was no answer. And not that loud that the right-hand person came out. He says, can I help you, love? And I said, yeah, where's, where's John moved to? He looks empty. He said, John. I said, yeah, John. There's nobody in that apartment for three months that I know. So she looks a bit drunk. No, she looks a bit drunk. So I let her close the door and I knocked on the other side. And this guy came, big beefy guy. I said, can you tell me where John's moved to? He said, John. I said, yeah, John, the guy next door. He said, that's been, that's derelict. It's known in that apartment for 12 months. I've been there for four years. It's been known. I'm like, what? And you had the right place. So the next day I went around to the meeting and I saw the chairman I'd seen like some months ago. I said, hey, you remember, remember me talking to John? He went, John. I'm like, John, the guy, we was over in the coffee machine. I asked him to sponsor me. And you know, we had a great talk. He said, Rob, you was over near the cough machine speaking to yourself. We thought you were going crazy. Never found that man, Ken. 
Never found him. But when I work with alcoholics, they get well. So this, this psychology, I've, I have also a second PhD that I got a few years ago in behavioral science. The stuff that John taught me and the mission that I know how alcoholics think, I know the, the neuroscience behind alcoholics and I know how to get them well is the 97, but it's actually a hundred, but nobody's going to believe us for the last 30 years. So we've kind of played it down, but you know, it's, it's unbelievable today. My life is, is absolutely amazing. And I only told that story, Ken, about four or five years ago. Wow. I mean, who's going to believe a stupid story like that? That, that this, this John, John guy didn't really exist, but he did. Well, it's funny because when I started to get wealthy, um, I, I, I set out private investigators to find him. Oh, my God. Nobody could ever find him. I got the best of the best, you know, in Manchester to track this guy down, but nobody could ever track him down. So uh, it took ages and ages before, you know, I thought to myself, you know, that must have been some kind of angel. Wow. Had to I don't know why me, Ken. I have no idea. Well, um, I do. <laughs> I mean, you needed some kind of intervention that was um, providential, it sounds like. Which, again, I can relate to all of, uh, not that part, but um, <coughs> it's incredible, man. Uh, and now you're, you're, you're changing the world. Yeah, <clears throat> we like to think so. We run a multi-million dollar company. It was only, there's only seven of us. We have a few offices around the world. <clears throat> we do wow. telehealth only. And, you know, we, we're back in the game, you know. We're, we're, back, um, we're back helping people. We do a lot of stuff for charity. We give, I give personally $150,000 every year back to uh, alcoholics and addicts who are trying to get an apartment, uh, trying to get soup for a job, all that stuff. And we've just, or will be launching uh, the Rob Kelly Foundation because I'd like a hundred bed uh, rehab in San Antonio uh, free of charge for every person in San Antonio and around the world. Uh, who's recovering, who wants to recover and can't afford it. So uh, let me, let me um, ask a couple of questions. Like number one, um, you started with a 12 step program. I started with, a tw I haven't been to a 12 step meeting in, in many, many years. And I'm not saying that to encourage anyone to not go to a 12 step meeting. I had a very big spiritual epiphany and awakening years ago, and um, it is what it is today. But um, do you do you encourage new people in recovery to go to those twelve-step meetings? Well, I definitely say it's a great start. You know, it's a great start. Definitely. the The only problem I find today is that a lot of 12-step meetings, I'd say about 90% out there, uh, <clears throat> they're not the real deal, they're not real alcoholics, they're heavy drinkers, they don't need to do the program to go. So if, if you're gonna go, it's a great start. Pick a great group, try a few, you know, grab that book, um, you talk about in the meetings and, and read through it and see if it's for you. But uh, if, if, you were, if you're too, psycholo uh, too psychologically damaged uh, and you need a proper program, to get you through the real deal and then maybe go back there. 
I, that's what I do. I mean, I attend <clears throat> once a week. That book tells me to go to once a week to give back to the still suffering alcoholic, which, yeah. you know, that's what I do every Saturday morning. I, I go down and uh, I do, you know, I do a meeting with the guys and uh, I, I love it, absolutely. But yeah. it's a great, great start. And, you know, I've seen a lot of people recover, including myself. Uh, I use the first edition of the big book yeah, because it's a uh, public domain uh, in my program. We definitely use that as part of it to connect you to, you know, a spiritual, because if you don't get a spiritual connection, this is my professional opinion. If we don't get a spiritual connection of some sort, then you are not going to get well. Yep. Some atheists are listening to this. I'm sorry. Maybe you can, if you're a heavy drinker or, you know, you're heavy abusers, because there's a big difference between somebody who abuses alcohol uh, and the alcoholic, and, and people don't realize this. There's a, there's a fine line for the layman, but there's a huge difference. Is one can stop when he wants to, or given the doctor's order to say to stop, the other cannot stop. When, the, when you are an alcoholic, and we're born this way, check back three generations, if you can trace it in your back, you, you're born this way with a predisposition, you cannot recover without a real hardcore program because you will always relapse. What we found since that book was wrote, which is beautiful, but it, it, it should be in a medical, it should be in a medical science library. The book because it is far years before its time. I agree. You know, if you if, you, if but that book itself is phenomenal. But what what we do is today's science, it kind of complements the book, but it gives us more in depth. But when they talk about a step four and five, they're really talking about trauma, and yeah. trauma is the gateway drug. Trauma is the stuff that kills us. Alcohol has 1% to do with alcoholism and the same with drugs. It's not the alcohol, you know? And that's when we get into the neuroscience of it, which we're so good about. Um, I teach doctors. I, I, I teach at high-profile universities to scholars about this because this is our latest research, which, which, which turns out to be true, you know? You change these things. You, you change the way you think. You know, you, if you change your mind, change neural pathways, which is a psychic change, you know, I'm going with this, Ken, then things will start to happen because if you use the same format and the same direct paths across the brain that lead into the basal ganglion, the repetition strength and confirms you will always relapse. Yeah. Wow. This, this is so powerful. And, you know, maybe not everybody watching needs to hear this message, but... I did hear you say on the doctors um, that if you were to ask the audience, is there anybody in the audience who knows someone or has been affected by alcohol or alcoholism, everybody would say no and if they or say yes, and if they said no, then it's probably you. So cool. um, so. Uh, and I, I love that. I was like, he's right. Cause I have never met anyone who doesn't have somebody somewhere in their life or their path or journey that hasn't been touched by it in some way. So yeah, definitely. And, and I think it's, it's worth mentioning as well, you know, that when we look at alcohol or, or drugs, for instance, but let's just say alcohol, cause you know, I suffer from alcoholism. Uh, our studies show in Richardson hospital in, in, in Dallas, Texas, <clears throat> when we do some studies there on a Friday and Saturday night, 90% uh, of people coming into the ER had drugs and alcohol to, ex to excess. Out of the 90%, uh, something like 2% died that night, you know, in, in the hospital. Uh, then death did not go down as alcohol. 
alcoholism right. or drug addiction. They went down as liver failure, car accident, all that stuff. So the figures we're seeing right now, the World Health Organization wants us to believe are wrong. Al addiction, alcohol and drugs kill more people than anything else on the planet times a hundred. That's how bad it is. 90% of heroin addicts that come to me started in the doctor's office. Try and figure that one out, guys. You know, yeah. oh yeah, that can't be true. Hey, listen, I don't mess around when it comes to stuff like this. We, we research and we research and we research. The only reason why we don't put white papers out there is when somebody comes up with such a mind-blowing, phenomenal, whatever, like the, the, the guy that had his water car or something, he goes missing. It's like, this is how strong we think about this. This is, this is mind-blowing. It's like the pharmaceutical companies run this world. They don't want to see me. They don't want to hear about me. You know, me and the guy from Purdue had a big, big one-to-one -one on live air on TV, national TV. And the very next day after I'd finished with him, they filed for bankruptcy. Now, there must have been a lot of other things as well, but it's funny that I, I interviewed one of the main guys, wow. you know, on, on a show, and uh, I wasn't having it. I wasn't having the BS that he came up with because we're killing our future. We're killing our people now. The housewives, the, the gentlemen, the good guys and the bad guys that come to us that, that are going to die because they can't stop coming off heroin is absolutely disgraceful. And, and, and it, I think it's worth mentioning, <laughs> I, I've, you know, in, in the program, I, I sponsored, I don't even know how many different people over the years, but, you know, I, I remember a kid that was a self-proclaimed atheist. And, and he said, I, I, I can't believe in a higher power. I, I, it's just, I'm like, dude, logically look at this. Like you're not your, if you're your higher power, you're so screwed. Yeah. Like your best thinking got yeah. you a seat in AA and your car crashed into a tree. Like think about that. Really think about that. But, but the heroin addicts, and I know you've seen it on a much greater scale than I have. But I have seen so many heroin addicts sit in AA meetings and not recover and die. And, and it is so freaking addictive. And people don't understand how, I mean, that's the real epidemic or pandemic in this world is heroin addiction. And, and now meth is so huge. And what can be done... What, in your opinion, Dr. Rob, what can be done to circumvent some of this before the person becomes addicted? Education. We're missing education. <clears throat> education about what the drug does. I mean, it's great that, that I mean, people love it. Okay, we're going to legalize cannabis. I love that. Legalize cannabis. I've never seen a, anybody use cannabis, stab somebody or cause them. Great. But tell them what it does to the body. Right. Don't just legalize it. You know, go into what heroin is, go into exactly what drugs do, go into the heritage, go into the trauma cause, go educate people in the area so that we're aware and we can have a choice. Because when I go to the doctor and he goes, hey, Rob, listen, take these, these painkillers, you'll be okay. And I have an addictive personality. Right. Or I'm a mom at home who's, who's a great housewife. I clean the house every day because I have a dixie personality and I take them drugs and all of a sudden he cuts me off yeah. and I go to the streets. People don't know this. Oh, I tell you what, it, you know what they used to say to me, Ken? Why don't you stop just for your kids? Well, I'll tell you why, guys. Alcoholism is not a choice. 
heavy drinking is and abusing alcohol. But at a certain point, the hypothalamus in the brain is the part of the brain, it's a survival instinct, we're born with it, okay? What happens is it tells us to drink water and eat food to survive, period. That's the hypothalamus job. At some point when we have the disease of alcoholism, we're born this way, it turns around, it tells the alcoholic to drink alcohol only. That's why people go days or weeks without food or water. They just need alcohol. So yep. we have a biochemical reaction and a brain disease going on, which affects the central nervous system, which then becomes an addictive nature. And all of a sudden we want to die because we can't live with alcohol or drugs and we can't right. live without it. When I committed or tried to commit suicide, I wanted to die because I was at that point that I couldn't, I can't do this anymore, you know. And and I would try all sorts, and you know, they brought me back to life. And and, and I, I stood on a huge twenty-five uh, story building and downed a bottle of vodka and fell back, not forward. And it's just crazy. But you get to that point, and I always say to people this: when I was on the streets, I didn't, it wasn't hell but I could sure see it from where I was. It's yeah. the madness, torture, twisted insanity of the disease, you know? Now the housewives that go and get the drugs and get hooked on heroin, they're not alcoholics, they don't have that mind, but once you become hooked on heroin, you present the same, you're done. You're absolutely done. And where, where's, where's the money being produced to, for these treatment centers? Because when you go into a treatment center, not all treatment centers, but, you know, we have great ones we work with, but you go into some and they're taking little Johnny in for his fifth time, charging him $30,000 a month. Come on. How the hell do you sleep at night? We have an epidemic. We need to talk about it. We need national news. We need the government to start talking about it. We need the police educated. We need doctors and nurses educated. We need the world. Ed People used to step over me and throw diapers at me, full diapers and spit on me on the ground. I was unconscious. People didn't even look at me. They hated me. People would look disdain at me. They'd throw crap at me all the time. I was the guy that saved a few people's lives for those people that threw crap at me. You never know. That's you great. can turn a life around. Anybody out there, unless you have a brain injury, anybody with an addiction, unless fentanyl and crack are there to the highest form, can recover from this BS that we're going through, but it's just knowledge. Nobody, the reason why we know so much is there's no money in recovery research. Now, there's why would everybody want to know? Let's give them pills, give them pills, get them hot, give them pills. That's all they want to sell more alcohol. The tax on alcohol alone in America is mind blowing. It's billions and billions of dollars. Nobody wants to stop that. Nope. So what do we do? We hush it up. We don't really say anything. We mix diagnoses, we go, as they go into hospitals, you know, we fill beds up at treatment centers and it goes round and round and round and round. I've seen 8,000 patients over the last 30 years. Wow. A 97% success rate. Don't wow. tell me that you can't recover. You, I've worked with the biggest movie stars who became the movie stars because I've worked with them. The biggest musicians, footballers, MPs, prime ministers, everything you can imagine. I've been everywhere just to show people we can recover. But I'm, I'm, one, I'm one person, Ken, yeah. with, with maybe 30 people around me who, who, who live the dream like me, who, who know that we can save people. And I'm not going to stop. I'm not going to stop. And I'm not going to stop being controversial. Yep. 
I'm not going to stop being quiet. And you're lucky I'm cursed on this show yet. I get so, you know, away with it. And I get really excited about it because there is a solution. I, hey, I'm I'm a recovered alcoholic. First <laughs> thing's not going to offend me, man. I, you know, I, and, you know, I'm from Ohio where AA originated in, in Akron. And um, so there's, there, there, there is a tendency of being a, ridiculous amount of 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 um recovering alcoholics there i i do i do think that um because when you look at just going to aa alone um it's a very 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 small percentage of people who actually recover and um and i know you know that you're you're obviously more qualified than i am but you know, for somebody that that may be listening or watching um, that they're struggling or they're um, they have a loved one that's struggling. What what's the next step for them? How do they you know, because I look at look, Rob, I look at my moment of clarity, surrender and 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 I think even though I don't think that God sh plays favorites i don't i think i don't think god's like that um i don't it had to be providential for me like i i don't because i couldn't stop and then all of a sudden this big thing occurred and 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 it was just in me it wasn't in like i did something huge what what is the next step for somebody struggling I think, I think, again, is, is uh, you know, go, and listen, guys, I love, you know, things like AA and stuff like that. I love it. I think they're powerful. I think the program's solid, but it's run by idiots these days who are not really, uh, you know, alcoholics. They're not really going to die if they, if they relapse. So love it. Find yourself a great group. Get, get in touch with a therapist. Get in touch with a doctor. Start dialogue with somebody, yeah. you know, because uh, this disease will creep up on you. And even, you know, when you abuse alcohol, it's the same as alcoholism. There's a fine line, but it's the same. It'll still kill you. You know, it'll, it'll grip you. It'll take it over. Your kids will go. Your house will go. Everything will go. So start that dialogue. And again, you know, what I'm going to do on this show is um, I'm going to give my personal cell phone out. Because if you're really struggling, guys, and you're at that place where I was, you're at that place where you've got nowhere to turn. You don't know what to do. Your life's just collapsed on you. You can't stop drinking. I want you to call me because... I'm going to give you a 15-minute pep talk that will change your life, and I'm going to give you some contacts that we can start moving this forward. And do you know if the 15-minute pep talk doesn't change your life, I'm going to send you $100. We're in this together. And people think, you crazy doing that. No, I'm not. Wow. The minute, the minute I turn, no matter how much money I've got, the minute I turn back on the trenches, I'm done. Yep. I'm also going, you know, drink or something. You know, and, and I've seen you on TV, I've seen, listen, it pays the mortgage and it keeps my wife happy. My job, trenches. My God, the guy in a one-bedroom apartment right now who's got a razor blade sat on the floor going, I can't do it anymore. You better text me. You better text me. Because I'd rather spend 15 minutes with you than hear of your suicide next week. Wow. So powerful. Real quick, and I know we're we're coming to an end here shortly, but um, you got sober in the UK, 
and you don't live in the UK anymore. What, where we didn't talk about that transition. What brought you to the United States? So I, uh, when the internet first came out, I was on the internet on a chat room. I saw a Christian chat room and got chatting to this lady who was uh, a big member of a church in Plano in Texas. Anyway, they asked me to come over here uh, to do some seminars with the youth ministry. I can see you know which one this is, Ken. The youth wow. ministry uh, for two weeks. That's only. They paid for everything and accommodation. I stay at this lady's house. Wow. And, uh, you know, I had to come over and I was so excited. And some crazy things happened there. Like the passport uh, expired and, you know, it came in three days instead of three months. I mean, just crazy stuff. Anyway, I came over here for two weeks with my little bag and my 200 pounds. Because uh, I just I just love this big America. I've never been here before. Yeah, and uh, never went back home again. Really, the, the the lady that picked me up from the airport from the church became my wife, and uh, I I started I put in for my immigration straight away, and uh, I voluntary worked and I helped people. I did book studies, and you know I started working free of charge for the first five years I was in this country, just helping wow. people traveling. You know, we we used to have a van. We travel around to help people. We'd, take people back to our house you know we started to get a, a gathering of people around us that were like-minded and just loved what i did and, and they would escort us and they would it was just this phenomenal thing that started to happen but it, it was never meant to be wow there was no intent whatsoever to come here it was meant to be <laughs> i'm sorry <laughs> the yeah. only time i've ever disagreed with anybody <laughs> i think it was meant to be Wow. Such yeah. a powerful, powerful story. And, and, and I really, I hope that everybody watching has number one, shared this out with, with their friends on Facebook and YouTube and Twitter and LinkedIn everywhere that we're live. Um, Rob, you are an amazing, and I know you probably don't take a lot of credit for it, but I think you're an absolutely amazing human being. And, I'm going to drive down to San Antonio and take you to lunch one of these days. Oh, oh be beautiful. I mean, we're neighbors. Yes, <clears throat> we are. Definitely are. Well, and look, do you know this guy? Do you know Tom Chenault? Uh, yeah, Tom. Hey, Tom. Good to Tom. see you. Man. Yeah, oh, we just become friends about three weeks ago. He's, he's my guy. Oh, I, yeah. I, I, have, I just recovered from COVID, though. I've had oh, COVID. Wow. It really killed me. Yeah, it's my first day up today, so I've not spoke to Tom for about 10 days now, but uh, I'll text you later, Tom. Thank you, man. Yeah, he's a great guy. Tom Tom is an amazing guy. Amazing, amazing, amazing guy that does a lot for recovery. He so, does. So robkelly.com, is there any other way? or um, How would people follow you, get in touch with you? Um, yeah, just Dr. Rob Kelly on any search engine. or All the platforms are there. Just search on there. There's loads of links on the website, robkelly.com. And uh, <clears throat> there's also a thing on there. It's, uh, it's a little book. And the book's called Daddy, Daddy, Please Stop Drinking. And it was what my last daughter last said to me. So just quickly, <clears throat> uh, my daughter, and the youngest daughter I've never seen since, you know, 30 odd years ago, never seen her. But two or three years ago, my daughter, my eldest daughter, I was getting most white things. I just got COVID, so bear with me. Got in touch with me on Facebook, on a Facebook Messenger. In the middle of the night, bing. Oh, my God, it's my daughter, Charlie. So we flew over there on the red eye. We got there. We 
we open the door. You can imagine all the stuff I've done in the past, all the guilt, the shame. Yeah. We hugged. And then she took me into a living room and she handed me my three-month-old granddaughter. Now, that's pretty good, yeah. She, as of about a year ago, became my head therapist in my Manchester, UK office. Oh my God. So the book was kind of dedicated to her. It's Daddy, Daddy, Please Stop Drinking, Amazon and everything. The only reason why I mention it is, you know, you hear it sometimes, you go, oh, the book, all the profits, go. yeah. That means after everybody's taken the part, $9, every single dime of that $9 goes back out to the community to help uh, alcoholics, addicts, depression guys, all that stuff, every single dime. And listen, again, I'm a straight up guy. If you get it and think it's crap, I'll refund your money. Just pass it on to somebody else that, that you want to do. That's all. And and lastly, but not leastly, I'd say um, if that's the, if you're the guy selling at home, 214-600-0210 is my personal cell phone number. If you're up for a 10 or 15 minute pep talk, I'm your guy. What Please is it again? 214-600-0210. Wow. And we can chat and do anything you want. I'm in the trenches. I love Tom. He's in the trenches as well. I love you, Ken. You're in the trenches. And I want to build my network up. You know, I want to build my my, my growth up now in San Antonio because, uh, you know, there's a lot of good guys out there that touch my heart and vice versa. So, yeah, wow. just doing what I got. We love what we do because we do what we love. That's the bottom line, I think. Amen. It's yes, the sir. Truth. It's the truth. <laughs> I'm always, you know, um, for those watching that aren't aren't familiar with with AA, and you know, there's a part in there that that talks about, um, you know, keeping things anonymous, and um, you know, with press and all of that. But here's the thing, man. For me, and I think that means more about. Not not saying, hey, I know this guy that I saw at a meeting. That you know, um, for me, I'm very very open and transparent. I always have been because if I can impact one person, yes, one person, and I've had many 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 people reach out. Out of the thousands of live streams I've done, I, I've had many people reach out and say, hey man, um, I love your story. I need help. And, and that ripple effect as well, you know, if you're, <clears throat> everybody needs to be a leader in today's yeah. world, especially in, in the, the addiction industry or someone who's suffering from depression or whatever it may be. Somebody needs a leader. You can come out from experience you had. My experience was horrible, but I turned it into my greatest asset going forward and people can, can actually stand up and, and identify with that. So what we look at is, is, is my word, is my word going to do anything? Well, let me tell, try this next time you, you're out and about. If you're in a built-up area with people, spot somebody with nice sneakers on. And as they walk past, you go, hey, man, nice sneakers. And then walk past him and turn around and watch him. He'll look down at his sneakers two or three times. So you've affected him. You can bet when he goes home to his partner, he's in a good mood. Now she's in a good mood. Now mother-in-law calls because she's in a good And he just goes on and on. I just said a few words. So I don't want anybody thinking, well, I, I can't really make a difference. Everybody makes a difference. Everybody can save a life. If you're not changing the world, what the fuck are you doing? Just one curse word. Sorry, Ken. What are you doing? You know, oh, well, I can't. Yeah, you can. Don't tell me you can't. Don't even go there. You know that you can't do it. They used to say to me, you know, 
yeah, I can say you can do anything you want. Well, I can't be president of the United States. We had a business around the country, okay? Don't tell me you can't do anything that you want to do. The mind is phenomenal. Neuroscience tells us today in quantum physics that we can do anything we put our mind, anything we can put our mind to. Changing lives on a daily basis is the best wage packet I ever get. You know, to watch somebody smile, to watch families get together, to reunite families, to, to see the light coming in somebody's face something you must not miss guys and you know you mm -hmm. listen at home if you think you've jumped in there by mistake you are oh no way you're here for a reason and that's because this show speaking to you who can go on to help I've, i know i've helped millions of people with a ripple effect next it could be you start with one person he'll spread it to three or four five or ten and it goes on and on and on wow um and the entire church said amen. amen. Wow. Dude, that 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 is so powerful. So, so, so powerful. Uh, I, I really want to encourage everybody who's watching, listening, to please share this out. It's not a demand. It's a, it's a simple request. One thing that I've learned is the more that we give to others, the more we get in return. And which is everything you just said, really, you know, so share this out to everybody on Facebook or Twitter or LinkedIn, wherever you are, share this out so people can hear this powerful message. And, and you might be responsible for helping impact one person, saving one life. And make sure you go to www.robrobbrobkelly.com. And follow him everywhere, everywhere on all of his social media. Rob, thank you from the bottom of my heart. Thank you for coming on today. No, thank you, Ken. Absolutely amazing. And I've got to tell you, I've probably done thousands and thousands of these, but uh, this is one of the best shows I've done because the, you know, the. I mean, most people I speak to who are presenting <clears throat> doesn't have that in-depth, you know, knowledge like like me and you can connect on that level. I mean, I've really. I'm going to bring you down to San Antonio. I'll come up there because I think you're a great guy and the show's great. I love being on here. You have some great questions. Just absolutely phenomenal. Big shout out to Dan. You said thanks, Rob. Thank you so much, Dan, for listening. Thank you once again, Tom. Thank you. All the guys listening. Thomas, thank you for your, for your kind remarks, guys. And uh, yeah, just uh, stay blessed, guys. And remember that you really can do anything you want. <clears throat> and uh you know, the world is on offer to you. Just get the right help. If you want to call us, call us. We're never going to sell you anything. You have to earn our services, by the way. You can't just call and go, hey, I want to start you. It doesn't work like that. I forgot to tell you that. Well, you call us for information. My wife and my team will be here free of charge as long as you want, for as many hours as you want, getting you help, and it won't cost you a dime. It's as simple wow. as that because we're just here to help. Nobody goes broke by giving away. I'm giving my power and my heart to you guys. Have a blessed day. And we'll see you soon. Wow. Awesome. Thank you so much, Dr. Rob. Appreciate you. Hang, hang tight with me. I'm here. I'm going to end the live stream. Thank you to everybody who shared this out and has watched. And it's a brilliant, brilliant interview. Thank you so much. See you all later.